0: to answer the question for yourselves, do you have a story to tell? And welcome to another summer read of Writer on the Road. Today I am uh, crossing the oceans to the beautiful Bribie Island here in Brisbane. I'd like to say hello to T.M. Clark, otherwise known as Tina. Hi, Tina.
1: Hey, Mel, thank you so much for having me i 'm really excited to have to be on your show <laughs>
0: congratulations on your new book uh, Nature of the Lion. It looks absolutely amazing
1: thank you i 'm totally in love with this, with the new cover with Nature of the Lion I'm, you know my lion <laughs> I love him
0: yeah. yeah now I sat down with no prior expectations today, everyone. I know Tina from I guess from around the traps on romance writers uh, that I interview, and I met you at the oh, avid reader here in Brizzy with Ali Clark and Ali Sinclair now they are both beautiful beautiful writers and Ali Sinclair writes international novels and um Dali Blake writes just funny romances um which is a crack awesome. up
1: yeah yeah, yeah. I love them
0: both. <laughs> yeah and I'm putting down everyone she will be on the podcast I can guarantee it uh but Tina, you surprised me. When I started researching your books, this is really cool, everybody. These books, I must, i look, I'd have to research them for 35 years and never be able to publish them. They're set in South Africa and Zimbabwe and the politics and the detail and the, I guess, the intrigue, suspense and thriller aspect just blew me away. What kind of life have you had, woman? (laughs) Well, I used to think it was a normal life until you know people told me no, it wasn't
1: so normal. So yeah, <laughs> I guess it has. Um, it's been an interesting life. It, it really has. But you know, a lot of my book is just fiction. It's not all about me. I promise. So yeah, <laughs> but I, I do sort of tend to write on the real timeline and with the real politics in it and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I do everything that some of the people in my books do. But
0: I can do quite a bit of it. Yeah. Now, it's interesting, everyone, if you've ever tried to get your head around the politics in South Africa uh, at the moment. Now, I read a lot of international newspapers and I try to get my head around what's going on. I wouldn't have a clue. Absolutely beyond me. Even when we lived in Ireland and I was trying to get, um, get my head around the politics, it was beyond me. Uh, yet you rattle off names and you do things that I wouldn't have a clue whether were true or false. You've got a fact and fiction section in the back of your novel. This is fact, this is fiction. Is that for those of us who don't have a clue? Yes. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it actually started out because
1: there was a lot of stuff where I was sort of bending the truth. So I figured that people might just read it and think it was the truth. And um, so, yeah, so The Fact and Fiction started off with my book number one, you know, with My Brother But One, and it's just, it's, I've just continued to put it in and, and, and readers seem to really love it, to, to wanting to know, you know, where I'm actually telling lies and doing the fiction part and where it's actually the truth.
0: Yeah, now I haven't counted the novels, um, Debbie, what, seven or eight of them? I wish, <laughs> but <laughs> see I knew there were a lot um, and they've all got these amazing animal covers of South Africa and there was an elephant and this one's got a lion um, and they're just, just amazing. Uh, I just want to read you a quote everyone just to set the scene because if you're anything like me you'd be a little bit thrown about this interview if you didn't have a little bit of background. So this is in the back of Yet another book I bought today called uh, Where Are We? The Nature of the Lion. My book pile is piling up over my head here, um, but I can't wait to read this one. I've got to tell you. This is from the acknowledgements in the back, everyone. Uh, Louis Olivier, retired game ranger at Kruger National Park, 45 years service, not only for your dedication, she's thanking him, to the park and the animals inside that fence, but for all the help in my research and for conspiring with me to plan an escape through the park and then through Mozambique for maps, inside information, and helping write the bones of the route for me. Thank you. I so appreciate your generosity with your time and sharing your knowledge. Now, that gives me a very quick insight into the depth of knowledge you must have to be able to write a novel like this.
1: I think I'm really lucky that there's many, many other people who are willing to help writers to actually get the authentic feel and to actually get the, the facts right in their novels. I must be one of the only South Africans who have actually never travelled through the Kruger National Park. Um, Tony Park actually lives like right there for six months of the year, but I don't I don't actually get up to see it. So um, I yeah I had to enlist somebody's help and, and I found him on the internet and he was an absolutely amazing, amazing man and he has just helped me so much with this novel. I don't I don't think that the authenticity of the park scenes would be there if he hadn't have actually spent time with me actually Um, Going through each of the different sections of the park and, and, you know, and helping me to where I could hide my, you know, where I could hide the truck and where I could unload my my horses and, you know, where I could cut through the fence and, and, you know, stuff like that, which is, is really, really good. And it
0: is very on the ground research, which I'm lucky to be able to get from people. Yeah. So if you haven't worked it out yet, everybody, this is not your average everyday romance. And uh, when I when I bought your book, it, it was in the tradition of Tony Park and Wilbur Smith and I went wow I used to love Wilbur Smith in my day so this is going to be a really great interview Uh, but what was really interesting for me is when I actually purchased your book and uh, what came up as that used to be also books but now I know they're sponsored books that are similar uh, to your book and right next door was Tony Parks now he's a big name author so that puts you right up there in big name authors and I (laughs) scrolled across a couple and I found um, Wilbur Smith's as well Uh, so that was really exciting and popping up there at the same time, and I have no idea what this one, was Peter Watt, because I don't think he writes South African books, does he? No, I think he – I don't think he does. But
1: he's yeah. he's sort of like the same sort of sweeping sagas, you know, the, the, the thrillers set in a different place. But, yeah, a lot of people, you know – I actually, I cannot say anything bad about Kirawak because his books are brilliant. And he's actually fighting fires up in Gympie at the moment up the road from us. So it's like, um, you know, he's flown in for that. So, no, he's he's awesome. I'm not sure why they put that there. I, I didn't know that he had actually done an African book.
0: Yeah, um, I don't think it was. A f- it looked like some <laughs> colonial thing. I don't know where it was, but I love Peter colonial. Watt. Colonial,
1: that'll, that'll be the link. They've gone, yeah. oh, one colonial country, another second. You know, yeah. Just read all of
0: that. This is how so. Amazon ads work, everybody. You've just got to put in the right words and anything can pop up. Um, but, yeah, Peter Watt, uh, I met him and my mum met him and she loves his novels and he's he's a gorgeous honey man. He always admitted that he had trouble writing women characters and love scenes because he's he's got very much a military background, uh, which brings me back to. You again because you have a lot of military in your uh, novel. Because Nick has a Nick is one of the main characters, Chloe is the heroine, Nick is the hero, or whether you have that in thr- thrillers, I'm not sure. Uh, now, he has he's an ex military man. Now, trying to talk, I guess, military in a novel like yours can be really, really interesting because we've got a lot of things happening over there, haven't we? Uh,
1: yeah, it, it is actually very interesting because this. This book was actually a follow-on from Shooting Butterflies. So Shooting Butterflies is, is this one um, with the beautiful giraffes across the front. Um, so some of the characters you've have actually you've met them before, well, readers have met them before in Shooting Butterflies. When I wrote Shooting Butterflies, um, I sort of, I used, it was my second book, and I used a, I, I did extensive research on, on the Grey Scouts um, from from Zimbabwe and um, as well as like many of the other um, military you know like the bases and stuff like that um, my dad was actually military he 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 fought in in the Rhodesian Bush War so you know it's it's I have a military background from that so you know I I always thought that I'd been quite respectful and then I had a a, um, a gentleman who was quite upset that I, I had used the psyops, um, um, the, the whole sort of psyops in it, which was their unit's name, and he was he was quite sort of determined that I had I had made the faux pas, and sort of you know using that. So I had to be really really careful in, in this novel to make sure that in using a real military unit like that, even though they had disbanded. That I, I I have to tread really carefully because there's a lot of people who, you know, they uh, although I do it with like the greatest respect that they, they they don't see it as the greatest respect that I'm writing about you know fictional characters who I've just sort of brought their military background into. So um, yeah, a constant constant checking on on where they were and what happened afterwards to people. I think it probably helped with this one that um. The person who I actually based this on was a real person well, I based the horses on, a, on on a real you know a real gray scout and um, so I think I had that in my favor on on this book that it could just flow flow you know from there and and, and carry on. Um, but yeah it is definitely it's a, it's a very fine line I have to walk because I am not military myself.
0: And military people, yeah. Yeah. And T. M. Clark, everyone, uh, they don't know that whether you know they don't know who's behind behind the name of T. M. Clark. Our readers, our readers Mm -hmm. pick up a novel, and they can be brutal. They expect a good story, and I've got to admit, I've thrown enough. books up against the wall myself when people you know get things wrong when they say Bondi Beach is five minutes from Sydney Harbour Bridge and I'm going do you know what you're talking about Uh, (laughs) um but when you come to something like this now you may not know the National Park exactly but you've traveled extensively haven't you it's one of your passions and hobbies
1: it is I love traveling and yes and my husband loves traveling so I guess we're really really lucky we can be gypsies together so I, I have traveled around that part and I have actually visited Mozambique. And, I, you know, obviously I was born in Zimbabwe and did extensive travel there. And So, um, but yes, I do. And, you know, obviously i been all over the place. I haven't got to the Far East yet. I do want to get to the Far East. That, that is on my to-do list. Right. Yeah, and the Amazon.
0: Yeah, talk to me about Zimbabwe. Like I know, and South Africa, I, I'm assuming they're very close to each other. I'm geography challenged, <laughs> everybody geographically. Um, when, when I left <laughs> on the boat, yep, um, I was never allowed to steer because I didn't know where we were going. Uh, but <laughs> talk to me about, I guess, the landscape because the landscape in these novels would be just critical and it'd be why people would pick up your books. It's why I just bought it. I spent nine ninety nine on Amazon, everyone, because I've this place. <laughs> This place, you want to visit this place, this this beautiful lion place. Um, But
1: when I write my books, my setting is actually, I consider my setting as a character. So I go all out to make sure that I know absolutely everything that I can about my setting and about where I am taking my characters. So even if I can't be there on foot, I will always try and find some little... You know, I'll always research the grasses and you know and, and the trees and, and I'll go through the, the sands. Now what happens in Zimbabwe? Zimbabwe is actually just above South Africa, It's so at the bottom of Africa, you've got South Africa, and then directly above it, you've got Zimbabwe. And then a little bit to the
0: right, I have to look at my left, my right, is Mozambique. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we lucky that this is going on YouTube, everybody, so we can see the directions. I love it. Uh, what well, a fortuitous that we chose to uh, publish this one. Uh, yes, and, and it's really interesting. You talk about mud maps. You uh, don't yes. know if they're printed in the novel or whether you just use them for research. We do. We actually print them up. I, I
1: I begin with them as a research tool and then in the end, the mud maps actually normally go in the front of my books so that you can see, like, like with Nature the Lion, you actually have... Um, the journey that they take back, the 1,500-kilometre journey that they take back through the bush um, is actually mapped out on the – and it's a two-scale map, so you can see exactly where they sort of are going, you know, roughly. So, yeah.
0: So we're taking – Yeah, we're taking storytelling to another level. I'm really excited to um, first to have (laughs) known you and, um, you know, (laughs) want to come and visit you. And now I'm finding you writing these amazing books. As I said, I love Wilbur Smith. I guess the depth and the richness of detail. Uh, Now I have um, titled this one, everyone, Delivering the Story because that's actually crucial to you, isn't it?
1: It is. is. The story to me is like the be-all and end-all
0: I'm
1: oh. just going kind of to kind of shut that up. Ah. It's <laughs> not serious. It's not serious. There we go. Sorry, I didn't realise. I didn't think to action.
0: Ah, it's gone. I've unplugged it. Yeah. Now oh getting goodness. back to um, delivering the story uh, and and that's absolutely crucial to you. It's it's what um, I guess what you write for, isn't it?
1: It is. You know why? Because I'm a storyteller above everything else. I'm I'm dyslexic and I'm a storyteller, and so it takes me a while to actually get the story together. But to me, the story always comes first. Um, I'm not too good on the whole relationship problems I think I was really really lucky that I married my first boyfriend my first serious boyfriend so I don't have all that angsty stuff behind me that apparently is needed for a romance writer but I just i um, but I have the whole angst behind me for the animals and for war and for the, the more thriller thing so while I do love my romance writing community then I do hang around with them my, my books have always been general fiction and I've always been really, really lucky that I was able to write them. And I know that a lot of my friends can't actually read my books because they write romances, but it's, um, but it is, it's very, my, my, my stories are very, very much plot driven and what is happening in the story drives the story, not the romance of the,
0: of the people in it. I was interested in that everybody, because I hate, blood and guts um but I loved Wilbur Smith so I thought I'm going to give this one a go um but you do have um a lot of military I guess question military people of questionable um honor don't you um and in your fact and fiction section you talk about who are the good guys who are made up you have um professional hunters um I'm just I'm scrolling here um Afrikaans I don't know Rhodesian bush war. I've I was having an education just looking at this stuff. Now, you grew up with it and you take it for granted, but a lot of us wouldn't know this this history at all, at
1: all. Well, I actually grew up, when I was born, I was born into the Rhodesian Bush War. So my father would go away like every three months and he would, you know, he would just go away and he would fight in the war and then he would come back and then he would farm for a while with us and then he would go away and he would come back. And that was sort of like how it was for everybody, you know, because, you know, everybody was fighting and, you know, People's parents, you know, people's, you know, you had attacks on farms, and you would hear about people dying, and you know, and you all just knew what to do, and you all were just trained on how to use your guns, and and, and you know, it was just. I think, you know, growing up like that, I never realized that my life was different to anybody else's, and you just accepted it for what it is, you know. And as far as we were concerned, you know, we were fighting the communists, and and you know, and and what was happening, but then you know then when you read history later, everybody goes, no, actually, you were, you know, trying to break away from, you know, you had broken away from England, and then you were, you know, just having a fight. It's like, hang on a minute, who actually took over that country? And, you know, the person who, so, so there is a lot of politics, and and there's a lot of sort of um, stuff which happens on the ground in any country, and then how it's recorded in history is always very, very different and very dodgy, and that's, and it's, it's one of the, you know, the the victors are always the ones to write the history books. So I yeah. just put and my you, own spin on it.
0: Yeah, isn't it? So, um, we could take that to the whole, um, I guess, male-female male, thing when we come about writing general history, can't we? It's always the men's stories that are told and not the <laughs> women's. Uh, um, Absolutely. Yet, yeah. <laughs> now, you clearly, you would have as many male followers as female followers uh, in your writing. I, I do. I probably,
1: my... Um, the. Uh, the mail that I receive, like my, if you want to call it fan mail, so the mail that I receive is actually predominantly from men. Um, a, m- a lot of them ex um, servicemen, um, you know, and a lot of them just, you know, people who love Africa. But yeah, I do, I get predominantly male audience um, sending me stuff. But that doesn't say I don't get lovely female letters either. Some of them are, are really awesome. So it's yeah. always.
0: And I, th- I think it's um, I think it's really good. Everyone, we expand our horizons, and I'm looking forward to reading a really meaty, I guess, plot-driven novel. You open you open this thing with um, the rules of the Sixth Society. Uh, 1984, it is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> this is kind of probably my second darkest novel. So my darkest novel would have to be Shooting Butterflies because that dealt with child sacrifice and PTSD and what goes wrong. Um, And then, you know, after Child of Africa, where I just did so much post-traumatic growth, which was about, you know, what can go right after something like happens and how you can change everything for the positive. This novel was sort of back to um, people who have been touched by those, both of those along the way and how they've handled it. And um, and it was more about sort of what happens next. I had read this tiny little thing about fox hunting in Ireland and how they have now started, you know, because fox hunting for a fox is now illegal. So they've now started laying a scent with a man goes out and lays the scent. And it was, well, how long before those hounds and those people hunt a man was sort of the thought in my head because after the big five are finished, you know, then who's next? Who's the next big apex predator on the earth? And, you know, who's going to mount your head on the wall? So, yeah, and, this and is that, that oh, was
0: what started the book. <laughs> yeah, and this is that what if thing, isn't it? With um, that as writers we engage with all the time. Uh, now, this is that's how it started. It started with our folks, but you're very big. And I read this in an interview with uh, MC Dalton in Book Babies or Book Babes. sure yeah. How you pronounce it? But you say I tell the story that wants to be told. Now this story grew, didn't it?
1: It did. It, it, I started off telling a totally different story. And um, by the time this book was probably one of the hardest books I've ever written. Um, it took a long time. Normally I can sit down and within like six to eight weeks, I can type up a story and I can have a first draft and, and be happy with my first draft. But this story, it, it just took different turns that, and darker turns and, and, and stuff that I, I hadn't actually planned. And because I do plan my stories, so I had to then keep keep on reassessing and reassessing where it was going and it, it took a little bit longer than than it should have. And um eventually my I actually handed it in and my um my editor said to me, Your story stops on this page and it was about two thirds of the way through and she and I went, Okay, well let's fix it. And we, you know, sort of brainstormed a whole lot of ideas, and then um, I went away, and then the the new ideas just sort of flooded in, and we and I fixed it. And and when I had finished the story, telling that story, it was a much better story.
0: Yeah. And And so yes, I have to. Yeah, this is advantage. (laughs) Yeah, this is the advantage (laughs) of working with an editor, everyone, uh, because sometimes you're too close to it and you don't know where it ends, and you think that maybe, oh, I've just got to round things off and make things neat. But quite often, as you said. The story is already over and you are you're just Mm putting things up and the reader doesn't need or want that anyway uh now this is book number five you you published your first book in 2013 so I guess we're up to we're coming into year number six in 2019 your growth as a writer as you said this book was harder to write are you going deeper I guess nowadays with your writing
1: Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I think that book dug really deep because I needed to trade so carefully with what I was talking about. The reality is that there, there, there probably is a society like that. You know, it, it, it could actually happen. So I was entering territory I hadn't actually entered before. And I think that um that sort of was a lot playing on my mind um because it's you know the probability of this happening is quite is quite high was sort of you know like a Robin Cook novel when you read those it sort of like leaves you you know like thinking about it and that is one of the things I was trying to achieve with this book so yeah I suppose I am I am digging deeper
0: yeah, and that's um, one of the. I guess that's one of the highest um, accolades uh, you can pay a writer is that you walk away and you and you continue to think about the novel long after it's finished. Uh, you, we talked about you being a, a lover of travel. You've set the headquarters yeah. of this thing in Switzerland.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I got to go there.
0: (laughs) And it seems rather benign after we're talking Zimbabwe and I got rather scared and I'm I'm looking on your Facebook page at the elite anti-poaching unit and they've got berets and they look quite scary. And then I think of Switzerland and I think of Heidi.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) And you know what? If you look at Switzerland, you look at the politics of Switzerland and you look at what they have achieved and yet they still have conscriptions. So the men in their country are still, you know, are still very able to mobilise if they had to, but, you know, they choose not to. And I guess it's that whole thing about choice, you know, just coming through again, um, choosing as a nation not to be a warring nation and or choosing as a nation to annihilate your citizens, you know, depends which, one, which country you land up born in. And it's, you know, just the luck of the draw where you're born.
0: Yeah, now a little bit, we touch on gold mining. We touch on, I guess, I'm I'm assuming that there is some skullduggery going on in there when it comes to the mines. Is that right? Mines? No, not in this book. Not none in this book, not
1: mines. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, goes, wait, my... yes. yes. No, no, you're right. <laughs> it's her mother. Yes, her mother. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> um, yes, her mother in the mines. Yes. Um, a little bit of skullduggery, yes. I would I would say a little bit of that. I would say a little bit of embezzlement and a little bit of putting too many fingers in the pot of gold. <laughs> so, yes,
0: there's yeah, definitely that happening. <laughs> yeah, and I think I was talking about um, there were dissident arm- armies, landmines, and and I'm looking at this thing and I only bought it today, everyone, I haven't read it. Uh, but you really can't go to those countries and not come across uh, the mines, because that's where a lot of the corruption comes from, isn't it?
1: In Zimbabwe at the moment, you know, I don't, I haven't been there since the new president's taken over. Um, But with the old president, um, yeah, he, he kind of, you know, was controlling all of that. But even before that there was trouble in, in, in the mining industry there. Yes. Um, And, and again, walking a really fine line because, you know, I, I still have family who live in Zimbabwe. So, I I always worry that one day I will say something in a book, and you know some big beefy policeman's going to you know show up at my cousin's house and sort of put her in jail for something that I say. So I've I've got to always walk a really fine line with, with with that. But definitely with mining uh, diamonds, especially um, in the last government, yeah, he kind of put his finger in the pie there.
0: Yeah. And, and we hear yeah. And we hear so many stories about um, you know, families disappearing. I'm thinking of that guy in England who was the British um academic and he's only just recently been let out uh over at um uh was it United Emirates or wherever it is over in, in you know, yeah. Arabic countries wherever it is uh and and you do worry and you do think about these things but that's where your writing is taking you so I'm assuming more and more that this is where you you are placed this is where you're seen. people are going to buy your books and I'm thinking next book and book after and book after uh I'm, I'm guessing your your reef ship is not going to let you off the hook
1: no, readership's def- not, definitely not letting me off the hook. I get these lovely little emails coming in. Some days, you know, just um, or if I'm on Facebook, I, I, you know, some some readers will send a thing and say, "Hey, get on Facebook, go write your book," which is. Absolutely brilliant! <laughs> Everybody and if, knows I'm a big procrastinator. So.
0: <laughs> uh, we're getting to the procrastination. I'm just, I'm just sort of trying to unpick this whole. Um, I guess this whole area of writing that you've got to explore and telling stories. I was speaking to Belinda Alexander, and we were talking about the Gilded Cage, and we were talking about how there's a, another Gilded Age. We're living in it. Um, right back when we, the early 20th century, when her novel was set, history repeats itself. Here we are. You're writing in a political um time frame that is really topical really interesting i'm sitting forward in my chair because i'm really interested in what's going on i don't want to go out there and research i'm terrified i'm a coward um but i want to read it in your novels and i want to know that your research is is spot on and you having yeah you having traveled there extensively people want to know what you've got to say about what's happening in our world right now I'm, i'm guessing they do, and it's it's always
1: really it's, – it's another one where I was never very political. I was never a person to take sides of anything. I sort of like went, well, you know, politicians, that's their job. It's not my job to do that. Um, Until I, I guess we got the vote in 1994 in, in South Africa where we could actually say, no, this is not what we want. We want, you know, black people and white – you know, black people should have the vote. And they should be treated as citizens, you know, and, and as exactly the same as everybody else. So I think that was probably my first sort of wake up call. And I was already, you know, I was already in my 20s for when that happened. Um, and I think that perhaps living away from it has now probably made me more political than I ever was living in South Africa or living well obviously when I was in Zimbabwe I was just a kid you know I could I was not political at all but I think that living away and especially living in Australia where there's such a sense of freedom and such a sense of people can just say what they want and it's just there is a very, very big difference to living here and living there. And, you know, people here, my, my sons go and they do the, the, the voting, you know, the, the polling, and they come home and they go, oh, mom, you know, there was like, you know, 24 you know, spoiled both votes with penises on them. And I go, and those people think it's funny, and I get all upset about that because, you know, in in the country that I come from, you know, you can be killed just going to try and vote somebody and you know you can have a militia stand over you and watch who you're voting for and you know you you don't have free will so I think that in Australia I've really I've really started sort of feeling more if, if if I can use those words and empathizing more for the people who actually live in Africa because I never realized when I lived there how oppressed everybody was
0: Oh, and there's more and more. I think I read, um, I think it's the New York Times or one of those, and I read some of the stories that go through there. I've got no idea about the truth of them, but I do read and I do think, wow, this is beyond our understanding. But your novel gives us, or your novels will give us an insight into, I guess, some of those issues that are that are there every day, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Again, I'm guessing everything here today, everyone. <laughs>
1: You know, when when I wrote this story, okay, so this story actually goes back into 1986. 1986 is the year I, I finished high school, and I set it at that year specifically because you know there was there was a lot of stuff going on, you know, in in South Africa at that time, and it was it was before the end of apartheid, and it was it was not a very good time for everybody. And you know, the not to give us a, a plot spoiler away, but you know, like a black man basically. He he saves a white girl, and then is is going to be punished for it. And you know he will just disappear. So it's it's up to her to sort of like you know and it's and it's Chloe who has to make that decision to to leave and to actually go through the bush and do that. And and I just you know thinking back, there were times when I had been protected by by people, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know, I've been protected by people in an area and just, you know, sort of pushed down the bank so that nobody could see me when there was, you know, trouble in a township where I shouldn't have been. Well, I should have been there because my ma- a, a car had landed on my maid's roof. And I went to go and help my maid, put a new roof on her house and I had the you, you know, the, the bucky, which you know, the Ute, and I'd taken all the corrugated iron And we were fixing her roof and, you know, and then this other busload of people arrived and they were not from the same area. And the people in our area, they knew me and they knew that, you know, I always take my maid back to her home in the township. And, um, and they knew, you know, that I was, I, I, you know, I helped my maid. And so, and they came and they saw my bucky, you know, there, and and there was trouble and, you know, they just hit me. They just pushed me down the bank and they hit me. So there's, you know, there's good people in Africa as well as bad people in Africa, and I, I think that what I try to do with my books is actually show those good people as well, no matter what color they are in the rainbow. You know, because you know, from you know white all the way through the spectrums of yellow and every other color that we land up when we all mix our bloods and our skin colors and everything else, all the way through to the blackest of black. You know, it's everybody is there's good and there's bad, and that's what I sort of like try and show in my books is that. As as scary as Africa is, there's people there that have absolute hearts of gold, and that they will they will stand up to that oppression, and they, that they will do whatever they can to try and get through. Yeah, and it's and uh, like I'm lecturing, and I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I I actually think uh, it's
0: the realness and the rawness and your passion. That yeah. that I want to hear, and it's what I've been fishing for for half an hour. I I, I think it's sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's the story we want, and it's the story we want yeah. we want to tell. And I'm hoping very much that your writing continues to go in this direction because we need people like you to tell those stories, don't we? Thank you. Yes, well, I, I hope so. There, there's, you know, there's lots of stories to tell. So. <laughs> yeah. Now, the blurb on this book, everyone, is uh, hiding from the law they never expected to be caught in, the, cross, uh, the crossfires of a hunter. Now, it, it is fiction, uh, but as you can tell by uh, Tina's uh, passion, that there is a very real history running through that book.
1: Yeah there is. So (laughs) I always, I always make sure that my, my timelines are correct. So, um, and you know, at school, I hated history. I, I, it was not my subject. I was really happy to dump it and go do accounting when I could. And now I have to, you know, I I have to actually do the research now and make up for it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now, I'm gonna put you on a spot um, because I think I've yeah. put you on a spot already by making you talk about these issues. But I think it's what I think we I think I would like to talk to you all day about this stuff and, and learn from you. Uh, I'm so glad you're not writing romance. I'm so glad that you're actually <laughs> making a difference with your stories because not a lot of us can Thank you. Well, not a lot of us can write the stories that you write and, and tell the stories that need to be told. What's next? Ooh.
1: so next year is concerto for the flamingo and that again, very different. And it's, it's about, it's about drugs. <laughs> okay. It's about dumping drugs in Africa and it's problem that, that is really happening. And it's, and it's about my main character. She's a doctor and she, I give her, early onset of old timers. So, you know, I'm horrible to my characters. As you know, in all my books, um, I'm always not very nice to my characters. And, um, you know, what would be worse for a doctor than losing her mind um, is finding out that the drugs she's taking are not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So it's...
0: It's yeah. a book about that. <laughs> yeah. Now this is really strong stuff, everyone, and I can tell by your body language, Tina, that you're not as comfortable talking about it. I'm guessing as you're <laughs> as you're um, as you are about writing it. Uh, these are really meaty stories. Um, I can see why you're likened to Tony Park and and Wilbur Smith because uh, do you think as a female writer you're being a bit more apologetic than than perhaps a male writer would be, or is that just an is that a cliche or a stereotype? I think that's just me. I think that's just. I think
1: that. I think that's just me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think. Um, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people still don't realize that T. M. Clark is actually a female. Um, I still get letters that come, dear Tim, dear Timothy, dear Terence, you know, um, dear Mister Clark. A, a lot of that still happens. So, I think that a lot of the time, a, a couple of readers they still don't realize that T. M. Clark is actually a female which I guess um it is a really male dominated society and but then africa is a very male dominated continent it's you know and and that's just the way it is so i can't apologize i mean i'm not apologizing that i have curves and that i have you know all bits that i think are in the right place um but it's <laughs> you know and i all i can do is i can aspire to just write the best stories that I can and you know and when those stories want to be written, then I write them.
0: Yeah. And and making a difference. Making a difference with your stories. Like you're not your your female doctor character that you're writing about next, that story could could very well be real and and is real in in a metaphoric way, isn't it?
1: It, it is and it's actually one of the things I dread the most is is as a writer losing my mind can you imagine that can you imagine that it's like suddenly not you know not having everything upstairs is you know and it's just disappearing and it's it's something that's really real to me at the moment you know I've got an aging mom and um a lot of my friends are going through that at the moment with aging parents and it's maybe it's just where I am in my life that that this was the subject that I wanted to tackle in the next book and you know, and it's a very real problem all over the world, that you know, old timers. So it's um I am I am still uncomfortable with old timers, obviously. I I think because I'm convinced that I've got Munchausens with disease with my with my beautiful heroine. Every time I write in one of her symptoms, I seem to do something to do with that symptom. So, you know, like my sons will come and, you know, I'll get names wrong, which I've always done. That's that's never going to change. And then, you know, I'll put the sugar in the fridge and, you know, stupid stuff like that. So I'm going, oh... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm just being her while I write this book, which
0: is a little bit, a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah. Now but I'm guessing, good. I'm guessing that uh, even though it's a female heroine uh, with the background of drugs and drug dumping, I'm guessing that this is going to be a very strongly um, political war, warfare novel <laughs> yet again. So, so even though we're putting our focus on our protagonist. It's very easy to say oh that's a light novel this is not going to be a light novel is it
1: no i would think this one coming is probably uh, it's probably going to be one of the hardest novels um i would go this novel's probably a robin cook meets um Oh, who wrote the Notebook? I've one glance. Nicholas Smug. Sparks. Sparks. Yeah, I would say you know just just because of the Notebook. So so you know the Notebook meets Robin Cook somewhere along the line is more where this book is going. Um, the political statement in it is actually made. Um, I'm writing my first Bushman, which they no, they're no longer called Bushmen. They're now called the Sand People. Um, and so and he just walked onto my page when I was writing one day and he was not planned. But he's now my clan Pete is now very much part of my novel. And yeah, so I've got a big political statement in there about the treatment of, of the Sand Bushmen, you know, with what happened during the you know, during the border wars in South Africa and then what's happened afterwards and you know, how eventually, you know, like twenty years later they've eventually been given some land, but they actually cut off from the Kalahari. You know, and it's just so yes. There's there will always be some statement in my book which is you know which I want to highlight as I'm as I'm. But you know, hopefully I'm not hitting my readers over the head with it, and they're just sort of like finding out about it nicely along in in the book. And you know, just like the plight of the flamingos is in this book, um, you know, it's it's the same sort of thing. Hopefully I'm not standing there with a sledgehammer, and hopefully they just love the flamingos so much that they want to know more about them, and you know and are prepared to sort of research and find out where they can go see them and stuff and, and rather, you know, find out stuff about them themselves.
0: Yeah. Now, this woman is a born traveller. Everyone, uh, if you have a look at Tina's Facebook page, there are the most amazing uh, photographs of of the places that you've been. Uh, the the very rich research in your novels. I am just very excited to have found a new writer that I that I knew already, but didn't. <laughs> I, just, I didn't have that awareness of your novels, so I'm excited. Uh, two things I thank want to thank you. Finish up with, uh, Writers at Sea. Now, this we haven't talked much writing today, everybody, because I really wanted to unpack, I guess, what it means to be a writer of the ilk's of of these guys, uh, and to be a female and writing in such a political setting that is is such a male domain, and and that's why the gold mines. That's why I was talking about, um, I guess, the military and all those things that were happening. Now, writers at Sea, it's a bunch of women, isn't it? <laughs> Um, We've got our first male book next year. (laughs) Elise and Claire and myself
1: run Riders at Sea. And um, yes, this year we did have just a bunch of women and my husband, Sean, um, who's very, very used to being, you know, the thorn amongst all us roses. And um, he he is our tech guy and, and, you know, I'm general gopher and go-to. But we've got our first actual paying guest who is a male who's coming this year. So it's not only for females, um, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of actually writing and learning how you do your novel and actually going through pieces of your novel and very hands on. We do a little bit of mentoring as well as actually writing on, on, on you know, like writing and achieving words on the ship which is which is really really good so when you come away after a week you you know that you have been on a writer's retreat but you've also had a little bit of a holiday you know along the way but you are you are focused and the main thing is you know for your for your novel sometimes people just need a little bit of help to have that focus and to and to keep going and I was really lucky that you know I had a mentor in in Marin Lennox and in um, Fiona Brand back in the day you know where they actually did a complete five day intensive with me as part of the romance writers, and it was sort of like based on that, but you know it wasn't it wasn't being run anymore, and we went, well, let's do something along those lines and and to help people actually learn about the craft of it you know in the morning and then and then actually achieve words so yes it's it is it is at sea because um both of us love cruising so and we're really good friends. So we figured, well, you know, we, we both wanted to do this for a while and we went, well, let's just do it. So we did our first one last year and then our new one will be in November in 2019.
0: Yeah. Now if you watch um, these guys, if you watch Ali Sinclair's or TM Clark's uh, <laughs> Facebook page, you, you will be jealous because there's lots of photos about these, these research retreats, I guess. Uh, <laughs> do we go somewhere or do we have to come back? Is it a circular trip or do we just keep going? I wish we could just keep going. How deep's your bank account?
1: <laughs> no, we have to come back. It's a circular trip, unfortunately. But um hey, you never know. One day we might be able to like circumnavigate the world on a on a cruise, you no, know. I, awesome.
0: <laughs> I just thought we could get off at the other end and you know keep going. Uh keep everybody, going. I'm good. I'm going to put um a TM Clark on a bit of a spot here uh we're, we're winding up I've I've spoken to you for nearly an hour and I can't thank you enough uh for allowing I can't me. believe an hour's gone yeah but just <laughs> interrogating uh that that whole idea behind your novels was was really really important because I think you're going to continue to to delve into those um I hate to call them political novels everybody I guess stories about <laughs> times is, is a much better way of putting it and and Impressively put out by Mira, which I think is a, a really, really good thing as well. Uh, can you read to us? Is there a section that you would like to read? No. I no. know I was putting you on a spot. I oh, <laughs>
1: well. putting you on a real, I can read a tiny section, but my reading is so bad. I, I can read, but you
0: probably won't enjoy it. You well, really, really
1: that's... Yeah, we do because I'm love.
0: I've I've I'm in love with your accent. I'm in love with that beautiful wow. South African accent and I could read it but you're going to get an accent from Goulburn, New South Wales and it's just not quite the same. Okay. Have you got something in mind or can I just quickly pick something? Just quickly, just quickly pick something. Everyone, I have put T.M. Clark on a spot but if you're going to be a podcast guest of mine in the future, everyone, this is something that I've started to include. Having our writers read a little bit of their writing, I really should warn them, shouldn't I?
1: You probably should,
0: yes. <laughs>
1: okay, so I'm going to read for you from Nature of the Lion. And I'm not actually going to read – I'm actually going to read the beginning of the book because what way to start anybody else, in, you know, to read the prologue. So I'll start. So um, Hills and Zimbabwe, 1973. The balanced granite rocks on the top of the hill of the Motopos defied logic but they formed the perfect game funnel. The emerald green trees hiding the sandy soil beneath kept the temperatures at least a little cooler. Mike rode his horse rebel further into the thick bushes. Stick really close Chloe he instructed in a whisper. Yes dad Chloe said edging her horse mongoose nearer to his until they almost touched. Slowly they walked forward and broke through into clearing where the herd boy had seen the horses at sunset the previous night. The chances of them being in the same place were slim, but a good starting point. To their surprise, Mike and Chloe saw eight horses, not yet aware of the human's presence, grazing on the sweet grasses. Mike smiled when he heard the quick intake of his young daughter's breath. The stallion stood slightly away from the herd, a proud bay, curving his neck as he looked around, watching for danger, smelling the morning breeze, as as, as he should, for the area was crawling with leopards. The rocks and the caves here were the
0: perfect hiding place for them. Now, isn't that a great spot to stop in? Now, if you don't want to go and buy it now, we didn't even touch on, I guess, the game and the hunting and the beautiful animals and all that. That is just, I guess, that's an added bonus to to reading your novels.
1: I think I'm just lucky because my family is still in the safari business and the photographic safari business, not in the hunting. So I'm really lucky that I can always just draw on, on them still, which I'm very lucky about.
0: Yeah, that's why that's why we have to read um, T. M. Clark's books, everyone, because we haven't got a hope in hell of writing <laughs> ourselves. Uh, Tina, thank you very much for being such a wonderful sport. I look forward to going on Writers at Sea with you next year. I've already told my daughters to start paying <laughs> paying their deposit and paying it off for me. Uh, everyone, I'm going to keep going. I don't want the ship to come back. I want to keep going. Uh, <laughs> Tina, looking forward to speaking to you again when, uh, what is it, con- uh, con- concerto, concerto. concerto for the Flamingos comes out. Okay. Yep. yep, flamingos, whatever they are. I'm going to go off and I'm going to read um, this one. I'm going to read our lion one, which is my lion. Yeah, Nature of the Lion. Where can we find you? Every good bookstore. Otherwise, Big
1: W and Target, Kmart, it's all over the place.
0: Yeah, and that's covered. the cover will jump out at you. Remember, for a procrastinator, <laughs> this woman is a really amazing writer um, and we, hope we get a lot more out of you as you procrastinate your way into old age. Oh thank you. And that's Thanks it for yet another episode of Right Run right, Road. Right. Right.